I'm reading from Luke 10, 25 to 37, page 792 in the Pew Bible, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care (coughs) of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbour to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And the second reading is from Matthew 5, verse 7, page 736. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Thank you. Just begin the uh, message with a, a spot quiz. One question, imagine you're on the chase. Okay, this is it, this is a big question. Where do you find this quote? The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath it is twice blessed. It blesses him who gives and him who takes. Oh, well done. We have a winner. Uh, who, who said that? Who was the character who spoke that? Do you know? Oh, okay, well done. All right, we've got two. Here's a real tricky one. Which act and which scene? Which act and which scene? There are five acts in uh, Shakespeare's play. It was during the trial, definitely. It was during the trial. Act. Second act, I think. Not quite. No? Act four, four. scene one. Okay. But, <laughs> but well done. Um, it's, I taught that. I had to. I learned that myself in year ten. I still remember it, um, which is good.
<laughs> uh, and uh, the Merchant of Venice uh, Shakespearean play, it does um, use some beautiful imagery, uh, some biblical imagery there too, to uh, describe mercy. And, and I think the world often uses that itself, that, uh, those sort of texts, to um, define mercy. Uh, we need to make sure that we, we know that uh, mercy is an attribute of God, it's a, a Christian attribute, and we want to make sure that we use a Christian definition for it. Sometimes there are some subtle changes as the world takes uh, these sort of words uh, and, and changing their own subtly, but we need to look at them very carefully. The first four Beatitudes dealt with the inner principles of our heart and mind, how we should see ourselves before God, recognising our poverty, repenting of our sin, coming before him in humility rather than self-righteousness and having a desire uh, for his justice. The next four Beatitudes, starting with this one, are outward manifestations of those attitudes, and we begin with the concept of mercy. Today I want us to consider the definition of mercy, how it relates to other Christian attributes, the source of mercy, which is like a Sunday school question, the answer is always God or Jesus, um, and the practice of mercy in our lives. So uh, I've, thank you, Werner, who um, gave me a... Um, a commentary for my studies on Matthew, and uh, it's by John MacArthur. He um, looks at some of the definitions we use for these words. And the common words are not necessarily sort of Christian jargon. We see them out there again and again in society. We've got mercy, love, forgiveness, justice, and grace. And John MacArthur, um, in his commentary, explains uh, some of the definitions of these and how they work together. I've put them together in a, a little diagram, like a Venn diagram sort of concept. Uh, and I want to just give you this example of defining them. Now, it's just a straightforward example. Lots of complexity could be seen in that. But if we look at this, if we consider forgiveness first, here's this little Venn diagram within the others. To show forgiveness is an act of mercy. So forgiveness is a subset of mercy because you can also show mercy in other circumstances uh, without having to forgive someone. To show mercy is an act of love. So mercy is a, a subset of love because you can also show love in other circumstances other than just being merciful to someone. We have three, these three definitions in the middle, mercy, justice and grace. Uh, and they all work together in some way. Grace and mercy work together. Uh, a possible definition of grace is to show grace is to pardon someone from the crime. To show mercy is to relieve someone from the punishment of the crime. We also uh, consider justice and mercy. Often society will see them as, as sort of contrasts, as opposites. Even in the Merchant of Venice, uh, it's like justice versus mercy. Uh, Shylock wants his pound of flesh. He wants justice. Uh, while the others in there ask him to show mercy. And when the tables get turned, uh, suddenly he's the one who's wanting mercy, whether or not that mercy is as, as good as uh, we would expect in that story, not sure. Um, but we see the world sort of often saying justice and mercy are extremes or contrasts. I'd like to suggest that they are more uh, two attributes which work together to portray the wholeness of God's redeeming love. Consider the story of Jonah. Uh, and Jonah wanted 
God's justice to come in the form of judgment on Nineveh, the city. God chose to show mercy to Nineveh after they showed repentance. Uh, and he, in the book of Jonah, we have this uh, dialogue between Jonah and God. Jonah says, I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. And Jonah is so frustrated, he wants to die again. Remember, he's already been in the depths of the sea. Now he, he's so angry about this situation, he wants to die again. God responds. He says, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Some translations say uh, the city of Nineveh have people who don't know their right from their left. When we teach about God's mercy to others, it must come with a message of repentance as well. There is still a punishment required for sin. Okay? For us, as Christians, we know Jesus has paid that price. Praise the Lord. God doesn't show mercy without the punishment of sin. It's there, um, and his son, Jesus, takes that price. Judgment did fall on Nineveh, but much later on in history, when they chose not to repent in the future. There's a push in some circles and in churches where uh, they only want to talk about God's love, okay? which is a wonderful thing to talk about. But they're expressing it, saying God is love, and let's get rid of any of that other aspect about repentance or saying that there's sin in our lives. Uh, and, and that's not what we should be um, preaching, just that one aspect. The church should offer hope of God's mercy uh, if the church were to offer the hope of God's mercy without a repent any repentance of our sin, it would be preaching a false mercy through a false gospel. How can we let people know that they need a saviour if they don't know why they need to be saved? Leads on to the source of mercy. As I said, that should be obvious that God is our source of mercy. But I'd just like to share a little bit of... Uh, things I find interesting with this, and this is through my studies this year. I've been studying my studies uh, of theology, uh, and so I've learnt how we can look at the attributes of God uh, through two different lenses. One's called the ontological lens. That is, seeing God as supreme in heaven, that God is himself without us having to be involved. Okay, If we didn't exist, if creation wasn't here, God would still exist. We know a few things about um, God in that way. Uh, he's eternal. He's everlasting. Uh, we know God is love. We know that um, because he's a triune God. Okay? Even when creation uh, occurred, um, we see the three persons of our one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working together. The other lens we can uh, understand God through is called the economic lens. That seems like a strange word. Uh, but in this case, what it means is that we see, uh, we understand God through how he relates and interacts with his creation, through us. So one thing we can um, recognize God and his attributes is by looking out around us at creation and seeing what a wonderful designer he is. We can see he loves us. We know that about God because he sent his son to die for us, for our sins. So we learn about God through that lens too. And we, some of the attributes we learn are through his interaction with us. When was God first merciful? 
When was the first time he showed mercy? Yeah, Adam and Eve. When we sinned, when mankind sinned, God presented mercy then. Was God merciful beforehand? Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Alistair, for giving the answers there. I haven't prepped them up. Well done. Um, God doesn't change, okay? Even though he might not have had to show mercy to any creation beforehand, um, that's an attribute which is always there of him. So that's how, with my theology, I'm learning about seeing different lenses. And it's just interesting. Some of you might not worry about that, but I find it intriguing about thinking about mercy. God has always been merciful, and through creation he shows some of these attributes. Which leads us to consider the practice of mercy. Jesus was prompted uh, to give the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, when a leader of the law wanted to know how he was to be saved, how he could receive eternal life. Uh, Jesus first tells him to make sure his relationship with God is right. And secondly, to make sure his relationship with others imitates his relationship with God. His response is not, oh, how best can I show this? But the teacher of the law asked and said, uh, so who do I have to treat well? Okay, different sort of attitude. And therefore, Jesus tells a story to this Jewish crowd of the most unlikely hero they could imagine. And as Roger Wilson mentioned, the Samaritan, he was a good one, and, and yet he was despised, he would be despised by the Jews. In fact, if we were to take this parable and make it realistic, put it in its real situation, then we could also imagine that Samaritan who's come to the rescue being even accused of maybe being the one who beat this Jewish man up. Or that if his person belongings had gone, that maybe some people would think uh, maybe it was taken by the Samaritan himself too. Against all such prejudices, the Samaritan demonstrates a mercy that Jesus asks us to show to each and every person we may come across. There are four steps the Good Samaritan shows mercy through. One, he sees the victim. We need to be ready to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. How do we put others first? Second, the Good Samaritan draws close to the victim, to him. And we need to take time for others, drawing close to them, responding to their needs. Uh, in Jude, the letter um, of Jude, at the end there is a little bit of um, good discernment given by Jude. He says this, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. So when we see a need, we look at in a discerning way of how we can respond best. Every situation may be different. Third, the Samaritan allows his heart to be moved with compassion. It means that for us, we may give up time, money, give our effort, our priorities, give up our priorities in order to take care for someone else. The measure of our mercy can be seen through our prayer for the unsaved. The measure of our mercy can be seen through our prayer for the unsaved. I don't know, have you prayed for someone who is not saved over the last 24 hours? Is there someone that you'd like to be praying for today to take time and start 
of that mercy through that. Finally, the fourth uh, step is that the Samaritan acts. Okay, he takes action. He builds up a network of support for this victim. It involves the innkeeper, and it involves a follow-up visit. He'll come back and repay any other costs that there has been. There is a sustaining mercy presented in this story. The ultimate mercy we can show is to tell the gospel message. A redeeming and sustaining mercy for eternity, not just for a moment of need. As we put the five Beatitudes together, we recognize this. If we've received unlimited mercy that cancels our sins, we who are poor in spirit, mourning over our helpless condition, meek before Almighty God, hungry and thirsty for righteousness that we do not have, then surely we should be merciful to others. I, as I read through the Beatitudes and I'm studying them uh, as, I, as I give the message, I'm laying this challenge to myself, and you can take it up too if you like. How will I show mercy over the coming months? It's not just looking out for opportunities to be compassionate and to do good. It's a readiness of mercy to really forgive of past wrongs or hurts that may have been done to us or said to us. A readiness of mercy to be very aware and prepared to change the attitude in our minds of when we judge others. Four, if we are prepared to put all those attitudes aside to demonstrate real forgiveness, mercy and love for one another and for our neighbours, then we don't just reenact the parable of the Good Samaritan, but we become imitators of Christ. And in the things unseen, where we lay ourselves down to Christ's command and obey him in our minds and hearts and our attitude of mercy, then we also imitate the fullness of the Holy Spirit at work in our individual lives as well as in the, as the body of Christ, this church. Let's pray. Lord, we have been looking at the Beatitudes. We're, we're on to the fifth one, and it, it speaks to us about mercy. We know that even if mercy isn't shown to us, we're still asked to present that mercy to others. Because, Lord, we know that ultimate mercy comes from you. You have saved us and rescued us from our sin. Lord, right now, I pray for a fullness of the Holy Spirit to act in our lives. That we aren't just looking at good deeds, but we're looking at a faith, a, a compassion to tell others of the good news. It's only through you, Lord, that we are saved. May we take time today and this coming week to ponder on that, reflect on that. Lord, let your Holy Spirit go before us so that wherever we walk, wherever we meet people, there are opportunities. Give us the courage, not just to be quiet or wonder what people will think or say, but let us be courageous to preach the gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen.